You are listening to the Super Mamas Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 55. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 55. Welcome to the Super Mom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, super moms. How are you? I'm getting excited. I've got my trip to Hawaii coming up where I'm going to be doing the workshop on raising responsible kids. And I'm excited, but I have to tell you, like, I was super excited for the first few days after I booked it. I was like, oh my God, like, I could just do this. Like, I, if I'm teaching a remote workshop that anybody can come to anywhere in the world, like, why not? do it from Hawaii. (laughs) So I just spontaneously booked this flight and I was super excited for like a few days and proud of myself for taking the leap. But then after that, I just sunk into this like negative place. And I was like, I shouldn't have booked it. What was I thinking? It's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going to sign up. And I just was really beating myself up. And I realized it's, it, it, It's totally normal and it happens when we start to raise the bar on our ability to tolerate joy. You know, we kind of get used to our comfort zone of like, oh, I'm just here to take care of my kids and they're the most important thing and they come first and we get used to that. And we forget that we're free (laughs) and we forget that like we could actually have fun and it's okay. And so, but when we try to have fun, it starts to feel yucky because it doesn't feel normal. We're not used to it. We're not familiar. So we have to kind of practice our ability to tolerate greater and greater levels of joy. Because anytime you start to go outside your comfort zone, it's going to feel yucky. So I realized that's what was happening for me. And once you know that, you're like, oh, this is just me practicing feeling joy and this uncomfortable, unfamiliar feeling of just going wherever I want to go, whenever I want to go there, it's like, what? That can't be happening. So yeah, so I was really trying to like sabotage myself and take away the joy. So now I'm on to myself and I am back on the joy wagon. And I hope to see you there. Go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash workshop to sign up. And today's question kind of relates to it. And it's about, you know, kids being disrespectful, leaving their stuff all over the house. But before I get today's question, I want to give a shout out to somebody who left a review for me on my podcast. I think it was on iTunes. It said, this podcast will change your life. Give a listen to Tori, everyone. Each episode has something that will shift your life for the better. Thanks for this life-giving podcast. Moon Lisa. Well, Moon Lisa, whoever you are, you absolutely made my day. When you said that this life is a life-giving podcast, like I just had this hit of like, that's all I've ever wanted. That's all I want is to give life to overworked, exhausted super moms who feel like nobody gets it. So thank you so much, Moon Lisa. Really, really appreciate that review. And today, uh, question is coming from Jane. 
And she writes, my kids are so disrespectful. From the second they walk in the door, they throw their backpack, shoes, jackets all over the house. They know they are supposed to hang them up and put their lunch leftovers on the counter, but they don't. They leave it in their backpack until the food starts to smell disgusting. I am constantly on them to pick up their stuff. It's exhausting. What do you do when your perfectly reasonable requests are constantly ignored? Jane. All right, Jane. I think this is a very common problem that a lot of moms can relate to. We've been talking about disrespectful kids in the Facebook group. And that's the Super Mom is Getting Tired Facebook group. If you haven't joined, please come and join us. The parent educator answer to raising is to come to Raising Responsible Kids online workshop. Like, first and foremost, please attend because this is exactly the stuff we're going to be going in depth in this three hour workshop on Saturday, February 1st. So that's my one first little plug. This is, you know, I'll have more time to go over like everything you need to know to like delegate effectively because really the main problem is us. We get in our own way. And delegating to kids is not rocket science. It's just that we have so many obstacles to it. And one of them is right here where you're seeing your kids' behavior as disrespectful. That will get in your way every time. But we're going to answer the parent education way first, which is just like, how do I get my kids to clean up the stuff? That's just a basic question. So, Jane, you didn't say how old your kids were, but I'm going to guess they're at least school-aged and clearly old enough to master the task at hand, okay? Sounds like they might be like older elementary or middle school or something like that. And with little kids, you would want to be more instructive. Put your sandwich bag in the trash and rinse your lunchbox out in the sink, You know, maybe with older kids too, like you can kind of give them some more details on how to do what you'd like them to do. But with older kids, you can ask them before you even get in the house. Say, hey kids, do you know what my expectations are? Do you know what to do for your with your backpack, your shoes, your jacket, and your lunch? If they say they know, then you're going to remind them with just one word. Okay, so little kids get more instructions, backpack on the hook, shoes by the door, lunchbox on the counter. So you can give them more descriptions. As your kids grow into adolescence and you know they know how to do what you're asking them to do. So we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, tell them how to do what we're asking them to do. If they say they already know and they don't need you to tell them and they know what their expectations are, then you're going to remind them with just one word. If you're like most super moms, we use way too many words. We like to nag and explain and lecture and complain. And it just makes our kids tune us out and ignore us. It also annoys them, which makes them not want to do what we're asking. Okay. So if we're not doing what our kids want us to do, let's say our kids don't want to be nagged and reminded and kind of condescended to, you know, like, let's say if we talking down to them and they get annoyed by this, if they, if they're anywhere near the teenage years, they might feel condescended to. And so if we act this way, then it annoys our children, which makes them not want to do what they know we want them to do. Okay, it makes them want to disobey and rebel against us. And so we need to act in a way that doesn't annoy our children in order to help them respond and cooperate. A one word reminder will work like a charm. All you need to do is just say shoes, 
lunchbox, jacket. That's it. Because sometimes kids do need reminding, right? Just like we need reminding. Our brains are not always present where our bodies are. And after a long day of school, they might be mentally out to lunch. So we just might need to like bring their attention back to the present moment, back to their bodies, back to their things in their hands. If you watch your kids walk into the house and you remind them with a word, as soon as they drop, let's say they drop their backpack on the floor and you say, backpack, soon this is going to become a habit. Then the one word is just going to become annoying and they won't need it. It's unnecessary and they're just going to hang it up. Okay. So they're going to do it automatically. If it doesn't become a habit, let's say you remind them every day with one word every day for two weeks. And they're still flinging their shoes around the house when they come in the door. Then you want to go back to step one, which is before they get out of the car, before they enter into the house, you ask them, hey, do you know what my expectations are for what you should do with your stuff? Do you know where to put your backpack? Do you know where to put your lunchbox? And you just ask them if they already know before they enter. Simple, easy, boring. So why is it a challenge for so many of us? Why do we get so annoyed and so bothered by this type of behavior? Okay, so the life coaching answer, the reason these simple instructions are so hard to follow is because, mama, you're pissed. (laughs) When we perceive our children's behavior as disrespectful, we get mad. The positive side of anger is to help us notice injustice. But to get kids clean to clean up, we need to be calm, patient, sometimes boring, and confident. So what gets in our way from teaching our kids how to manage their belongings is our perception that the child's behavior is disrespectful. If you think your kid is disrespecting you, it's going to get you mad and you're going to Them are fighting words, right? My kid's disrespecting me. I'm going to disrespect him right back. (laughs) It's just a natural human reaction. So we want to ask, are you absolutely sure that your kids are trying to disrespect you by dumping their stuff on the floor? If a handyman walked into your house and dumped his toolbox and his coat by the front door, would you think it was disrespectful? It's the same action. When you were lugging around a baby in a car seat, did you ever walk in someone else's front door and drop your diaper bag in the car seat there? And if so, were you trying to disrespect the homeowner? No, of course not. So when we think that our kids are disrespecting us, we get mad. We get short with them. We yell, we nag, our tone of voice and posture changes, and we get really kind of dramatic which means we lose our leadership energy, this calm, confident energy that makes kids do what we ask them to do. (laughs) So it's basically labeling your child's behavior as disrespectful is a way to sabotage what we actually want them to do. So often we hear this, we understand it. And so we quickly want to switch to a better feeling thought. We're like, okay, My kids are disrespecting me, makes me mad. So I'm going to think my, I love my children and they respect and appreciate their house. (laughs) We think anger is bad. Patience is good. From now on, I will be calm and patient until they learn the routine. 
And this might work for a day or two, but a week later, you're right back to feeling disrespected. Has this ever happened to you? Where you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm now from now on, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be patient and calm and I'm not going to yell. And like it works for a little while, but then you're right back where you started a week or two later and you don't even understand what happened. So it's time, if so, that we honor the anger. Because like I said, the upside of anger is that it's trying to get your attention to an injustice. It is true that the distribution of duties in your home is unjust. This is a valid statement. You have way more on your shoulders than anybody else, and it isn't fair. When we learn how to turn the dial up on our own anger and allow it, like make it louder away from the kids, then we also learn how to turn it down. It's like taking ownership over our own anger dial. Trying to suppress anger and say like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to feel mad. I'm just going to be nice and patient. Well, that kind of lasts forever. It doesn't go away. If we allow anger to move through our body in a physical way, it only lasts for 90 seconds. So think about a toddler throwing a tantrum, okay, or a preschooler. Notice how physical this act is for them. Them expressing their anger is very physical. They cross their arms, they scrunch their face, they clench their fists, they stomp their feet, they grit their teeth. So (laughs) what I want you to do is to find a private place where nobody can see you and do it with me right now. If you can find a private place right now, go to a bathroom stall (laughs) if you're at Target If you're in your car, turn off the engine and just allow yourself to be mad. Anger is a healthy and normal human emotion, but societally, women are not given permission to feel it or express it. And so very often we shove it underground, try not to pay attention to it, but our kids will trigger this in us. And it's kind of like the healthy way of like letting it come up and out. And so the way we let it come up and out is to put your body in a position of anger. So you can sit, but standing up is even better. Clench your fists, stomp, hit the pillow on your bed, like just, you know, hit the car seats if you're in your car, like really get mad. It's a hundred percent unfair that you do so much for these kids with so little appreciation in return. They will never know how much work for you do for their lazy butts all day long. Really let yourself go there. Feel the fire in your belly. Swear like a trucker. <laughs> let it all out. You hear me? <laughs> I'm getting mad at you mamas for not getting mad. I want you to do it right now. Like let it get bigger in your body. Physically move it through and see if you can make it last for 90 seconds. After 90 seconds goes by of you throwing your own little temper tantrum, you might notice you feel better. You let the yuck out. Emotion just means energy in motion. We're not meant to let it just stagnate in our bodies. We want to let it out. When we suppress it and try not to feel and try to pretend like, oh, I'm not mad. I'm just this patient, sweet, loving mom all the time. 
What happens is, if it's not genuine, we distance ourselves from all our emotions. When we can fully allow anger and the other negative emotions that we try to suppress, like shame, embarrassment, disappointment, sadness, right? Like all the yucky ones. When we distance ourselves from those, we distance ourselves from all the emotions. When we allow them, we also get full access to joy, love, peace, enthusiasm, all the good ones. This is what we're trying to get when we complain to our husbands. We get annoyed because and we're like, we just want to tell them about our day and tell them how horrible it was and all the like annoying, nasty things their children did, how we had to clean up their vomit and how they got in trouble at school. And we just want to tell them all the bad things. And we get annoyed because they try to fix our problems, right? They just try to like tell us, okay, well, you need to do this. You should have done this or whatever. And we just get pissy <laughs> because really, we just are trying to feel our feelings, and have somebody like validate them. We want to feel felt. We want to get all that emotion out and feel like somebody gets it and that it's okay. So we want to feel like, you know, our husbands understand our struggles and our frustrations that we went through because we're not very good at doing it for ourselves. Like we don't let ourselves express the anger. And we, and if we do, we don't welcome it with compassion, right? Like we, Instead, we like yell at our kids instead or get annoyed with their disrespectful behavior and we yell at them. And so it kind of releases that pressure valve, but then we feel guilty afterwards instead of having compassion for ourselves for living in a very unjust (laughs) household where we're responsible for the majority of the work. So we vent to our girlfriends and that feels better. Sometimes we cry. Have you ever yelled so much that you cried? Yeah, that has happened to me. Or sometimes we'll like turn on like music that's like really like loud could be helpful, right? Like some loud music to really like bring up the emotions of anger or sadness, watch a sad show, go to a kickboxing class. We feel better after we process the emotions in a physical way and move it out of our system. So teaching kids to take responsibility for themselves is really quite simple. The problem is that there are a lot of barriers that get in our way from delegating to them. Number one, we label their behavior as disrespectful. We blame our children for our negative emotions. Then we get, it's like giving all your power to feel good in the hands of your kids. Like I can only feel good if you're going to clean up your backpack. But if you don't pick up your backpack, then I have to feel angry. It's like that never feels good to put your ability to feel what you want to feel in the hands of your kids or in the hands of anybody else, right? So blaming gets in our way. Labeling their behavior as disrespectful is a big one. Another thing that gets in our way from delegating to our kids and teaching them how to be responsible for their things is that we think a good mom should do all the work. That's part of like our cultural societal programming. A good mom works hard all day long for her children. She does not rest. She does not have frivolous fun. She just works and works and works, self-sacrificing. Well, that cultural myth will get in your way. The third thing that gets in our way is that we don't want to watch our kids struggle or suffer. We would rather rescue them from that negative emotion by doing the work. 
Number four, we want them to do it right the first time without the learning curve. Number five, we feel bad putting more on their to-do list because they're maybe working so hard or stressed about school. And so we're like, well, I don't want them to have to do the dishes when they've got studying to do. Number six, we resist relaxation. We pride ourselves on being busy and overwhelmed. We see busy and work as good and relaxation as bad. And number seven, we want to feel needed. There's so many things. These are just seven. There's so many barriers that get in our way to delegating to our kids in a way that helps raise responsible young adults that I really recommend you come to the workshop uh, Saturday, February 1st, Raising Responsible Kids. I will give you the link again and it'll be in the show notes. It's lifecoachingforparents.com slash workshop. You're going to leave there with a clear strategy and an experience of being in your calm, confident leadership energy. When you can viscerally experience it, then you'll know you'll have it in your back pocket and you can draw upon it anytime you need to. You'll learn how to talk to kids in a way that makes them want to obey you without them even realizing it. It's almost like magic. It's pretty fun to know that you have that power in your back pocket. It's really fun. All right, mamas, hopefully you'll join me there. But I want to go over the Supermom Kryptonite today and the Supermom Power Boost. They might be two of the most important things I've ever talked about on the podcast to date. Supermom Kryptonite today's is overparenting, doing too much for our kids. I ran into my friend at the hardware store the other day. She was buying light bulbs for her son's bathroom, she told me. She noticed they were out. I asked her if she was going to replace them herself or have him do it. She paused and looked at me like incredulously. She's like, should I have him do it? I, I should. I should have him do it. I shouldn't even say anything. I'm just going to leave the light bulbs on the bathroom counter. It was a revelation for her. Mama's, her son is 20 years old. He's an adult, but he still lives at home. But she's so in the habit of taking care of him and doing things for him as a sign of love that he's missing out on those opportunities. Does he even know how to replace a light bulb? Will he even notice that they're out? Will he even make the connection between the light bulbs on the counter and the empty ones above? We don't know. When our kids are little, we show love by taking care of them. Care and love are intertwined. When we continue to take care of them, we treat them like the child they were instead of the adult we want them to become. Many teens will push back against our overparenting and show us that it's time to back off. Well, this feels annoying at the time, but it's a blessing because other kids will not. They will not push back against their parents. Many teens will continue to ask for our help because they lack confidence in their own abilities. But confidence comes from competence. And the only way to build competency is to make a lot of mistakes and do things poorly. So if my friend's son was living in a house with other 20-year-old men, they might live in a dark bathroom for weeks before someone 
as the light bulb idea to change the light bulb. They might light a candle or use their cell phone flashlights before one of them decides to take this action. Now, to us adults, us responsible adults, this seems ridiculous. (laughs) The problem is so easily solved with a simple trip to the hardware store. But here's the thing. Something magical happens on that day when that one young man decides, you know what? I'm going to replace that light bulb. I'm going to go to the store, buy a light bulb and screw it in. And without anybody telling me to do so, no one's telling me what to do or how to do it or when to do it. The magical thing that happens when our kids do things by themselves without our input is called self-efficacy. Self-efficacy refers to an individual's belief in his or her capacity to execute behaviors necessary to produce specific performance attainments, okay? So your child might have self-efficacy around their grades. If they've always managed their schoolwork themselves, they are totally responsible for their assignments and for doing their work, and you're totally out of the picture, then they can develop self-efficacy around their schoolwork. They recognize that my performance it directly correlates to my the amount of effort I put in. Right? That it's up to me. I'm responsible for my performance. I get to take credit for my successes and my failures. Self-efficacy reflects confidence in the ability to exert control over one's own motivation, behavior, and social environment. So self-efficacy is magical. We want our kids to have this. This is like the, you know, ultimate like idea of of raising children into grown-ups is that they believe in their own abilities. They they can motivate themselves, they can change their behavior and they can even affect their social cultural environment. Like that's awesome stuff. And that's what we want for them. It's a superpower. <laughs> and how do I know this? Because as super moms, we've got loads of it. We got self-efficacy dripping out of our fingertips. We are super responsible and capable, and it feels freaking good. (laughs) We know we can do anything we want. We're motivated. We can change our behavior. We can change our environment. Like We get this. But without being aware of it, we might be robbing our kids of their own self-efficacy Because we're not willing to let them live in a dark bathroom or get a bad grade on their report card or go away to summer camp and cry and miss us or maybe to make a mess in the kitchen burning something (laughs) because they're experimenting and trying something they've never done before. Super moms don't like to watch their kids struggle. We feel like we have to do everything right and having kids who suffer and struggle does not seem right to our perfectionistic brains. Combine that desire to do everything right with our need to feel needed and our love of taking care of our babies and enjoying our own self-efficacy, it becomes a really easy habit to stay stuck in. It feels good to us, but it's problematic for our child's ability to build their own self-efficacy because we keep stepping in and rescuing them and doing things for them and 
because we don't want it to be messy. We don't want them to make mistakes. We don't want to see them suffer and struggle. So overparenting drains our energy because it keeps all the burdens of responsibility on our own shoulders. It also creates this nagging voice in the back of our heads that says, shouldn't my kids be doing more by now? And this little voice is coming from our higher self. So it's not going to go away. It's just going to get louder and more annoying. So learning how to watch your kids make mistakes and not make it mean that anything has gone wrong. That's one of the things we're working on in the Raising Responsible Kids workshop this weekend. So if you think you err on the side of overparenting, please join my workshop. Today's super mom power boost. Oh, I love this one. This one, I want you to get sneaky to restore balance. Okay. I have a client with a husband who loves golfing. She gets annoyed every time he takes off on a Saturday and is gone for five hours. When we dug deeper, we discovered that If she was to take off five hours on a Saturday to do something that she loved, she would feel guilty. She had the belief, many of us do, that a good mom should want to be with her kids every weekend. So instead of taking turns with her husband to do activities that she loved on the weekends, she just wanted her husband to be stuck at home with her. If she wasn't going to have any fun, then he shouldn't either. The problem with this belief that self-sacrifice is good and self-indulgence is bad is that super moms end up totally out of balance. Our instinct is to restore balance. I think we're always driven to create balance within ourselves. So what happens is if we don't consciously say, I'm going to have this fun, super indulgent, wonderful weekend that's relaxing and frivolous, if we don't do that consciously, we're going to do it unconsciously. We end up sneaking indulgences behind our own backs. So it's like drinking wine at the end of the day, eating sweets and chocolates and potato chips and sodas and things that we don't want to be eating while binge watching Netflix, staying up later than we actually want to do, mindlessly scrolling through our phone as a way to give ourselves a break. Instead of just claiming like, I'm going to spa for five hours on this Saturday, or you know what? Here's mac and cheese for you kids. I'm going to order myself DoorDash and FaceTime with my girlfriends for the next hour. Like because we hesitate to claim frivolous fun, then it kind of ends up sneaking in behind our backs without our permission. So instead of letting our subconscious try to restore balance in a way we don't actually want, I recommend an illicit affair. I'm not saying go cheat on your husband. But go have an affair with your creativity. Call it mommy's special time, but don't tell anyone what you're doing. Explore an interest that you have. Write your novel, paint, draw, wander around a city with no agenda, visit museums, eat whatever you feel drawn to, indulge in something frivolous and nourishing to your soul. So I've given this as homework assignments to some of my clients. Like one of them was 
she was, she was wanting to write, but she had a lot of resistance to it. And so I suggested she have an affair with her writing. And it was like the prison she had locked herself in, the door just flung open. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's it. I'm free. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. I'm just going to say, mommy's taking her special time, her quiet time, and I'm going to disappear into this room. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm actually writing a fiction novel. And it was just so delicious to her. We want to aim for this feeling of deliciousness. The key here is it cannot be noble, okay? (laughs) It must feel indulgent in order to restore balance. So if you say, well, I love going to the gym. I'm just going to go, you know, exercise for two hours and that's my indulgence. Great. If you love it, do it. But the problem is we all kind of view that as being noble and good. And so it doesn't restore that balance that I'm looking for. So. Try some things like this, like tell your family that you're traveling for work. Maybe you got to go on a work trip, but really just enjoy the quiet cleanliness of a hotel room all by yourself. Like stay an extra day or take a trip, put your kids in the gym daycare, but don't work out. Go lie in a lounge chair and read a book, sit in the sauna or the hot tub or whatever. Go on a silent retreat, take five hours and go dancing, go skiing, or maybe you love golfing. I like golfing. Maybe you're a golfer too, but create that time for yourself that feels indulgent. You might be like me. It'll feel really exciting at first, and then you're going to feel terrible, but go do it anyway so that you slowly raise the bar on your ability to tolerate joy. Park your car somewhere and just write in a journal, listen to an audiobook while looking at a beautiful view tour open houses in a beautiful neighborhood and just dream and fantasize for a while. It doesn't have to be significant. (laughs) It just needs to be sneaky. It's like your own private thing. You know, our lives are so exposed to our kids and we feel like we have to be good all the time when they're around. We feel like we have to be on our best behavior. And so sneak a little indulgence in there when nobody else is looking. I walk my dog on a popular trail near my house. So some there's a lot of people there, but sometimes when no one else is around, I'll start skipping. You cannot skip as an adult woman without also laughing at yourself and feeling pretty damn joyful. So it's fun. I feel like I'm getting away with something. Sometimes I'll be walking and I'll be like listening to like my Broadway show tunes or some sort of catchy music. And like, if nobody else is around, like I'll sneak in a few dance moves on the trail. <laughs> no one's looking. So if you ever see me <laughs> dancing while walking my dog, yep, that would be me. But it just it feels delicious. It feels silly. It feels indulgent. And that's what I want for you. I'm hoping that this three-hour online workshop will be a stepping stone for you. If you can carve out three hours for a workshop on a Saturday, that's kind of noble and good for you and your kids and your family, because it's like, I'm learning something, it's a workshop, then maybe next time you'll take three hours to do something fun and frivolous just for yourself. Deliberately sneaking in an indulgent pleasure will help you feel balanced. 
And you won't feel the need to sabotage yourself by just like scrolling mindlessly through the phone or watching Housewives or some county that makes you not, maybe not feel so good at the end of the day. Maybe that's not how you want to spend your time. So when we feel some equanimity, we don't need our husbands and our kids to suffer along with us. (laughs) They can have frivolous fun and so can we. So it actually makes us a nicer person to be around from the inside out. We don't have to force ourselves to be nice and patient because we actually feel nice and patient on the inside. Next time you go to a hotel room, try dumping your stuff on the floor, kicking your shoes off wherever they land and not caring where anything ends up and just see if you can enjoy the indulgence of that activity. Today's quote of the day. Do anything, but let it produce joy. Walt Whitman. I will love you and leave you and hope to see you on Saturday. Take care, Supermoms. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question, and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email, and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.